Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so glad you joined me today. My guest today is the owner and trainer of the world-famous Monster Factory. It's Mr. Danny Cage. Uh, you might have seen his school on the Apple TV Plus uh, documentary show Monster Factory that came out. He has produced uh, an incredible amount of talent that you see on television every week in WWE, in AW, and MLW, and, and many, many other places. Monster Factory was really one of the original wrestling schools in the country, originally run by Pretty Boy Larry Sharp in association with Ninja Boy Buddy Rogers. Danny Cage has such a unique perspective on pro wrestling. I told him, too, that he's one of the people that I agree with most of the time on social media. So it was really a pleasure to have him on. So here we go right now with my interview with Danny Cage. So honored to be joined today by the owner of the world famous Monster Factory, someone I often agree with on social media, but have never met before, Mr. Danny Cage. Danny, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. How are you doing What's today? What's up? What's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I've been looking Absolutely. forward to this. Uh, so first question, what, is it, what was it like opening your school and your life up to the world on Apple TV Plus for the Monster Factory? And how did, how did it change things for you? Uh, man, it didn't really um, – it wasn't that difficult to actually open up my world to them because, you know, we were doing it for years anyway here. And – uh we were kind of like prepping for it because in 2012, when I first took over, they were pitching us. Somebody else was pitching a reality show. So they started recording us and our training. So then from then on, I would always have cameras around and tell them, like, eventually this is going to happen because we would have so many people just hitting us up because we're so open with everybody. And like 2015 or 16 is when they came in and filmed like a mini documentary for us. It was just some dudes. uh that later on went and, you know, got a production deal and everything. But, like, they were just some dudes, like, out of college looking to uh, record some content. And I said, we're open to it. You know, I didn't say, like, what's in it for me? I didn't say, how much am I getting paid? We just did it. And that was 2016. It came out. And it got, like, Vimeo's, like, editor's pick. Blew up. And then, you know, a couple years later, it was, hey, we want to do this. Let's try to you know, let's try to pitch it to, you know, any different companies. It was Netflix, it was Hulu, it was HBO Max, and then, you know, it landed on Apple TV. And that was, I think, in part because Jeremiah Zygar got on board. And when, when he got on board, since he has so much clout, I think Apple was just like, let's do it. And even uh, just for you seeing how it was presented back once it was actually out there in the world, like, you know, what did you think? I loved it. I really did. Um, and that was also part of like the agreement that we had with getting it made. I was like, I want to make sure it's not going to exploit anybody. I was like, if there's anything that really bad that I deem awful, like we got to be able to take it out um, there. I don't want this to be something where it's just like these kids trust us to tell their stories and then we just exploit them. So I didn't want to do that. Um, so I was so happy with everything. Plus, you know, my mom passed away during it. Yeah, uh, right at the end before it even came out so like they dedicated it to her apple sent me like this whole care package like it was really they really handled it great um everybody there like public record vox media apple like everybody was just pros man it was it was a pleasure man like it, it, i told everybody i was like if we could do like every 
every year do a season, I would love to because it was just it was a great experience. I I needed it um, for what I was going through. I told everybody like if I if my mom was sick and I wasn't doing this show and everything, I would have been even more of a mess. I needed to be busy. I needed to be around and and it was cool because like my mom before she passed away got to see like I was doing like really cool stuff, you know. Yeah. So that was that was that was kind of. A, a good a good uh a good thing to take away because like whenever i want to visit her i just put on the show that's great in addition to really enjoying the show itself one thing i did really like just as an aside was just i, I love the soundtrack i love the yeah. the music that they picked i don't know yeah. if, how much say you had in that but you know, I, take, just, take me home by first. phil collins i was like oh man yeah. this is perfect well i remember when they hit me up they said do you have one song that you want in it and i was like phil collins take me home because that's what we end every single one of our shows with we've ended our shows with that since 2012 um, because it reminds me of my childhood uh, watching Saturday night's main event. And that was what they would go home with. So that's what I always do at the end of the show. I'll say goodbye to all the crowd and I go play the music nerd and they play Phil Collins, take me home. And it's just, it's a perfect moment for me. It just boom, like that ends the night. Fantastic. Now, now I really have to get to a Monster Factory show because I need to see this yeah, in person dude. now myself yeah. too. Yeah, but it's it's coming. But uh, how accurate was the show to what was going on? Every there, there was nothing staged, nothing. Like I told them that was the agreement. Now there were some things like the audio didn't pick up, so I had to repeat it. Like, um, like for example, like when I'm yelling into the camera, like stop the music we had to retake that because, but I honestly did yell it like that and scream it like that. They just didn't get it on camera. So mm-hmm. that's why they wanted, they had the audio of it. They just didn't have my face doing it. So we just reshot that, but everything you see happens. And there was nothing like, Hey, we need you to do this. We need you to do that. It was like, I would, sorry about that with the camera guys. Yeah, no I'm holding it up because I'm upstairs in my bedroom right now. Um, I don't have a desk up here. Uh, so like when we did the show, like, we would walk in and it would be like, this is what we're doing today. Like one day, like the, the day where I flipped out and left, they had no clue I was doing that. I walked in and uh, they're like, what's on the agenda today? I was like, well, I'm leaving soon. And they're like, what? And I go, you'll see. And I just told them, I cut the promo on the students, took my uh, mic pack off, put it on the table and drove off. No one contacted me. Nobody did anything. Uh you know, because they knew like I was going through some stuff and I was I was losing my stuff on them. And like the biggest thing I get angry at is, is I never get angry, like directly with the students. I get angry because of myself, because I feel like if the students aren't getting it, it's my fault. And that's why, like I said, like you guys got to figure out your why, like because I have here a TV shows filming. We have all these eyes on us, all this stuff. And you're still get only getting in one to two days it was so disheartening because I would tell people like for months leading up, like this is going to be it. I, I'm going to tell you just hunker down and just give this 100%. So you have no regrets afterwards. If you got to take vacation time, take it. It'll be worth it. It's, you know, blah, 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 just do it. And there would still be people that would miss training and miss opportunities and miss shows just because, and you know, that that's what, Wasted potential is what really fires me up because I can literally see, like, when I look at someone, like, what they're capable of and how great they could be. And then, like, they don't. And that's like, all right, I'm your coach. I got to get it out of you. So, like, when I was cutting the promo on them and crying and stuff, 
it was pretty much like disappointment with me. Like, how come you couldn't get this through to them? You know? Interesting. I was going to ask too, that was actually pretty much next on my list was just how hard it is to coach wrestlers when literally every one of them is on a completely different path. Yeah. That's how I changed my whole training style. When I first started in 2011 and 12 and all, it was so old school. It was like, I was bought up in the nineties, you know, and, uh, I was broken in. And then, you know, as I slowly went down and slowly opened myself up to new techniques and new everything, I would pick up stuff from my amateur wrestling days. I'd pick stuff up from different coaches just in the world. I would never just watch wrestling. I didn't care about, you know, because I always say this, the world of wrestling never had a shortage of good wrestlers. It just had a shortage of good people that could also wrestle. So that's what I try to instill in our people is like, hey, you know, the wrestling part is last, you know, I need you a good person. I need you to show up on time and I can tell who's going to be a good person. Cause like we do things like with kids, kids, birthday parties, you know, we do charity events, charity work. Uh, we do tours with people. We have special needs people in all the time. And I see the people that avoid that. And I'm like, you're never going to make it. You don't understand what wrestling's about. It's about the creating the memories and like we get to wrestle and that's the bonus. But like all this other stuff is the important stuff. The, appearances the getting to know people and again creating the memories being somebody a spokesman for a company they just think hey you know the company just wants me to wrestle no man they want you to do a lot more but these kids don't get it and what's sad is other schools don't teach that and promotions don't teach that so they look at me like i'm the weird one but i'm actually the one preparing themselves for the future and the other people are just preparing themselves for a future wrestling one it's a lot more than that, man. It's a lot more than that. And then even if you look at the industry nowadays, like somebody said this to me not long ago, like every company has great wrestlers. Like that's not going to be the thing that makes you yeah. stand out nowadays. It's like, and you can find great wrestling on every show. Yeah. It's, you, it's great, how do you get noticed? A great wrestler. That's why I always tell people like anybody can wrestle anybody. Like I am not a trainer. I don't like the word trainer. I like coach. Because trainer just means I'm just teaching them a routine when a coach actually just teaches you things and the ability to find your own answers. And that's what the key to my training is. I, I, I was telling the students the other day, I was like, do you ever see me get in the ring and do anything with you guys? Every once in a while, I will. And they're like, no. I was like, and you guys probably can't tell me. Or if someone asked you, like, hey, what did Dan teach you? You wouldn't say a move. You wouldn't say hold. You would say to show up on time, to be a good person, to make sure I help, to make sure I leave it better. That's what's missing. Like all the wrestling stuff. Like I just basically pound the pound the crap out of the uh, the uh, fundamentals, the basics, the foundation. And then once you get so good at that, you can't get it wrong. Then what you are doing now is you're learning your own stuff because you already have the foundation. I tell everybody we learn to drive ten and two, right? Ten and two. Right. We don't learn to drive like this with our hand like this. Ten and two. That's because that's the basic foundation of driving. And if you teach everybody to do it this way, that might not be comfortable for that person. You do it with the other hand, might not be comfortable for that person. You do it with the two hands, you pass the test, you get the foundations down. Then you can drive any way you want. You can tilt your seat back, put on your music, do whatever. But that's not until you get comfortable. A lot of these wrestling schools are teaching people to drive like this and drive like that. And then someone says, hey, we need you to do this. And like, I never learned that way because they never got the basic foundation. Once you get the basic foundation, then you can learn anything. 
Yeah, and, it's the basics and the details. It seems like yeah. is what you're what you're getting them. Yeah, like getting I can't them. do so many things. Like I was trying to show the students how to get up wrong, and to lock up wrong. I can't. I don't know how to do it. Like it's it's out of my right. DNA. I can't anymore, and that's why I tell them repetition breeds habit. You know, we always do the reps over and over again. Even our warm ups are like forty five minutes, and they're the same warm ups over and over again. And that's basically I designed it that way because it's almost like symbolic of wrestling. Because you're going to do a lot of things before you earn the right to get in that ring. So to, so our warm-ups are 45 minutes just to get in the ring. And that day you might not even get in the ring. But at least you're going through that stuff and you're getting that repetition and you're getting that muscle memory and all that stuff. It's such a simple formula. But like, there's only been one coach who's ever asked me like really for advice on running a school. And he's probably one of the best coaches in the world. And that's Dr. Tom Pritchard. Mm-hmm. No one else has ever asked me any advice on running a school ever just dr tom and that was right when he started with uh glenn he right. called me up he's like so wrestling schools he's like i you know i've done them for this and that but i need to you know so i told him how i do my things and my philosophy you know and he through throughout the years he's you know text me and we'll talk and stuff like that but like it's it's funny like i have the most successful wrestling school in the world best success rate most students trained most consistent, no cancelable things, no seedy stuff going on, but nobody wants to hire me, nobody wants me to be there, nobody wants me. So why is that? You know, that's that's what I look at. And then, you know, you see all this stuff going on, and then I'm like, well, maybe that's why, because I'm not an awful person. You know, maybe it's because they know I'll say something if I see something. So that's like the disheartening thing is like I do everything correct. Like, I live my life like this, and I tell my students, I have a really troubled past. I did a lot of bad things, not like awful things, but like I was a a bully growing up because I was going through stuff at home. Then I figured that out. Then I would go out and, you know, we would break things, get in fights, bar fights, all this stuff. And, like, I did all these things, and I'm just like, now I'm focused on living my life. I'm very – very disciplined writer so if i live my life like i'm the hero in my story no matter what i get put in front of me i go okay how would the hero in my story handle this and guess what if i screw it up then i go okay how would the hero handle the screw up in a story he would apologize he would try to make it right uh the hero in a story always thinks of other people not themselves that's the way i live my life it sucks and all but like the way I look at it is the amount of people I've helped throughout the years. Like there's people that aren't on TV, but like I saved their lives, you know, it's different people I saved from committing suicides, different people that were going to quit wrestling. And I reached out to them even after they blocked me on social media, they talked trash about me. I had another coach reach out to them. Then they came back and then they got hired, you know, but when they thank people, they don't thank me. But yeah, that's the thankless job, but it's yeah. kind of like I tell my kids is I didn't really appreciate my mom until way later on in life. Right. You know, so like the job of me isn't to get recognition, really. My job of me is to take care of my kids. And if 50 out of uh, 51 appreciate me, you know, down the road, cool. 
that um, one isn't going to kill it for me. Yeah, personally, I'll I'll just look forward to your uh, overnight sensation when, once yeah. you once you do get the job in a few years, oh, yeah. and then we'll look back at this and be like, oh, I'll remember that, you know. Yeah. But but yeah. honestly, though, too, seeing the way that you run things about Monster Factory, seeing the respect that you have within wrestling from the outside looking in does mean something too. And I think that I think that regardless of whether or not, you know, there's contracts and whether or not there's, you know, individual opportunities, I don't think that is the uh, ultimate reflection of uh, yeah, the man. I mean, but like it's, it, it is disheartening now. Because yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. It's, it's just like, if you have, like, if this was the NFL and you know, there was a coach shortage and there was a, you know, a, a shortage of stars. And there was a guy that's like in college that makes these stars. You'd be like, hey, let's get him here. Imagine what he can yeah. do here. But they're just like, no, we can't because he's not from our system. Yeah, that's why I'm good. I'm really good because I think outside of your system. Yeah. All the answers aren't in your system. Same way I look for answers outside my system all the time and people bring stuff up. I'm like, that's a great idea. Let's implement that. Let's do that. I'm open to everything. And that's why I'm successful again. What was it like on your first day training at the Monster Factory? And what was it like meeting and getting to know Pretty Boy Larry Sharp? Uh, wow, man. Uh, memories. So I remember my tryout, first off. My tryout was everything I thought it would be. because, And then when I look back, I'm just like, wow. Um, that was pretty intense because... It was 1994. I was in amazing shape. I was probably 200 pounds, but I was like solid ripped 200 pounds. Uh, I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing anything. I was just wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And that's it. Um, and I did my tryout and I remember going there. It was at a, at the Route 30 marketplace in uh, Clementon. And I went in there and I first walked into the weight room because uh, I saw these big dudes going into this gym. So I had my wrestling shoes over my shoulder and I just walked in and they're like, you're here for wrestling. I'm like, yeah, he goes, it's down there. So I go down there and it's this huge, uh, man, I could still smell it. It was at a, at a uh, flea market. So mm. like, it's that smell of like all these different foods and then like cigar smoke and all that. And I just remember walking into the monster factory and there was a, some bleachers set up with some kids and then the ring there and Larry got me in the ring. And I, I just remember the tryouts before me and they were, they were horrible. Uh, they couldn't really do anything, but I got in the ring and they had me do the tryout and like Glenn and Chaz were my guys put me through the tryout. They were just Glenn and Chaz. Then they haven't been the headbangers. I think oh, wow. they did maybe a, a couple job enhancement matches for WWE, but it was just Chaz and Glenn. They put me through my tryout and I just remember you know, and for coaches out there, this is how decent I was because like preparing to be a wrestler, like from age 10 till I got that tryout every day of my life was pro wrestling. I was shadow wrestling. I was learning to stand up just from watching TV. I would put it in slow motion and figure out how to get up the proper way, what body part to work and all the different reversals. Cause I was also an amateur wrestler. So a lot of it was uh, in the amateur world, like switches, right. reversals, stuff like that. So I just remember um, doing the tryout and then when we ran the ropes and again, this is where the other coaches will be like, wow, that happened. So I started to run the ropes and he's just like, pick up speed, hit it more intense and I'm hitting the speed. And then he just tells Glenn or Chaz or whoever, just like drop down. So now I'm dropping down. 
they're doing drop downs on me and I'm hitting the ropes and going over them. Then they tell, he told them crisscross. Now they're crisscrossing me as we're running the ropes. Uh, this was my first day ever in a ring. Wow. So we get to the outside and he goes, when do you want to start? And I'm just like, oh, he probably takes everybody. So I'm like, I'll start tomorrow. And that's when, you know, my dad, the whole story with my yeah, dad. Right. But anyway, um, little did I know that like he didn't take everybody because like Stevie Richards tried out, he turned him down. Uh, some other wrestlers tried out, he turned him down. Like he wouldn't, he just, so anyway, I didn't do it. I came back and I just remember when I first came back, he's like, yeah, you said you did a tryout in what, 94, whatever. I, I assume you're fine. Yeah, we just, you know, just start. So we start doing lockups and everything. And like, I'm on like this, my lockups, everything. And then I start reversing hammer locks and all that stuff. And him and the other trainer, like, where'd you train first? And I go, I didn't. They're bullshit. Oh, forget. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Uh, he's like, no way. And I'm like, uh, no, I didn't. So, but they were convinced that I trained somewhere else and I was a spy from another wrestling school. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then other students hated me because, like, I was there for like three weeks and I'm, you know, doing matches uh, in the ring. I'm getting put through matches with this one guy. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him, but I just remember he was Mike Murray. He was like a six foot five dude from L.A., uh, decent leader. So he would like just see me in the ring and be like, you want to go? And I'm like, sure. And I would just get in there and get the reps. And I didn't care if I sucked or I was awful. But, you know, looking back, like I was really good. Like I was uh, my first match was like four or five minute match. And there was nothing this, nothing bad with it. And stuff like that. Like and then like, you know, then just injuries hit. But like training at the Monster Factory was nothing like it is right now. Um we had summers off because one of the coaches after I got cancer, he took over and he would go to Canada. So we didn't train during the summer. Um, we barely ran shows. And if we did, we didn't even know about them until like a couple weeks or whatever. Um, we didn't promote anything. We had, of course, we had no social media because none to be even around. Um, but like sometimes like uh, we tell the story, me and Cliff sometimes would show up. And me and Cliff Compton, and there would be nobody at the building. And then next thing you know, there's a U-Haul truck. And they're like, yeah, we're moving buildings. So we would, we'd come in there and just move the building, and then we would be done for the day. And other times we'd show up, and there would be nobody. Like I, I told the students sometimes I would show up to train, it would be just me because they had no accountability. They didn't care if you showed up or not. Um, it was just whatever. But I just remembered, like, I made up drills by myself, uh, striking drills along the ropes, uh, practicing uh uh you know springboards and different things like that so like we had no structure it was you got in the ring you learned a couple moves you were there six to eight and that was it bye and it was wow. a couple days a week there was no weekends and then every once in a while we'd have birthday parties but it was nothing like this uh nothing and i implemented this because this is what I dreamed of a wrestling school should be like. Cause I used to do amateur wrestling camps and I would do different athletic camps and stuff. And I was like, none of this is in here. This is athletic stuff we're doing. We got to implement that. And I just remember when I first started doing it, Larry didn't want me to put anything public. He's like, don't put anything public. You got to protect the business. I'm like, Larry, it's mine now. I was like, trust me. You're someone who has no room to talk about protecting the business. You opened a wrestling school when it was not done. Uh, and then he saw what I was doing and he's like really started to dig it. He started doing his own videos. We even did a how to thing uh, on uh, wrestling. If you look up and look up like how to do a headlock, how to do a this and that, 
it's Larry and Steve Macklin and this guy, Mike Spanos. Uh, I was supposed to do it. I told Larry I was sick because I wanted Larry to do it um, because he was in, um, in his head about things and mm-hmm. thinking he'd have it and all that. Uh, so I think it was good for him, even though he cursed me and hated that he had to do it. Um, but he loved it. I know he did. And it's, again, it's always going to be there, but yeah, it was, it was not like it is here. Yeah. It was, it was, it was basically, uh, uh, probably like a 50 by 50 brick building later on with just a ring, no heating, no air conditioning. And that was it. Yeah, the first time I would have heard about it was seeing the promo shots when I was a kid of Bam Bam Bigelow yeah, and Larry that was Sharp in, and that all the magazines. In, that, was, that was in Mount Holly. Mm-hmm. That was in Mount Holly uh, at an airport hangar. The Monster Factory has gone from Mount Holly to Paulsboro, to Paulsboro again, to Westville, to Mantua, to, to Deptford, to Belmar, to Gloucester City, to Paulsboro. Wow. Yeah, and then the, what Larry would do is I always tell this story. It's pretty amazing, but it's so like Larry. I love it. Um, after the Clementon place closed, which was the best monster pack in my opinion, that was awesome. Other than this one, this one's the best, no matter what. But like prior to me, um, it closed, and what he would do is he would try to get a building. Well, he was having trouble finding buildings, so what he would do is find buildings that had been up for rent for a while. He'd approach them and go. Hey, how long has it been since you've had this building rented out? And they're like, oh, a year or two. And he goes, well, you're paying insurance for it, right? And he goes, they're like, yeah. He goes, well, how about I pay your insurance for it? You let me rent the building. And when someone wants to rent it out, I'll leave. Hmm. So they're like, okay. So that's what he would do. So that's why sometimes when me and Cliff would pull up, we would be moving. We'd have to go somewhere else. Would, yep. So like sometimes like there would be no pictures hanging on the wall, no nothing, because we were only there for three weeks, four weeks, then to another place. But it was a smart business decision yeah. because, you know, the tryouts were were drying up. You know, other people were open wrestling schools. So Larry saw it as, hey, no need to send $3,000, $2,000 on rent when I could pay 300 for fire insurance. Right, right. Yeah. It's pretty wild to me, too, just seeing all, like, some of the posters that you have and stuff. It's what's wild that the school is so started in association with Nature Boy Buddy Rogers to me, too. Yeah, that's – it started with Buddy Rogers wanted Larry Sharp to train his son. That's it. And, and his son because, is and David. Was that his? That's why. That's why I laugh because I, I think it was. I think it was either Bruce Pritchard or someone said something. And and again, I don't. I'm not afraid to mention names. Uh, I think it was Bruce Pritchard. Or somebody said something uh, like making fun of like yeah. And I think Kevin Von Erich was fine with the training. Look who his dad was. And I'm like yeah. Well, Buddy Rogers was the other kid's dad, and he wanted Larry to train him. Like so, there's some credence to that. Plus, he wanted Larry to put him through a match for his dad and for everybody else. And then Larry wound up getting his collar broke, collarbone broken during it. But I never put Kevin on the poster just because, you know, um, it was just like, I wasn't going to deal with every time going, Kevin Von Eric, what's he up there for? And I, but I'm like, yeah, Larry did legitimately help him and train him. That's um, wild. Yeah. I wish I would have known that before this today, because actually just before this interview today, I was interviewing Kevin Von Eric oh, yeah, an hour know. ago. Well, what's <laughs> funny is I became friends with him because of it um i wound up messaging him uh probably like 2012 or so about and telling him the stories and that that i was uh you know i took over the monster fight with larry and he was loving it and then like he actually uh called larry for his birthday like he arranged you know i was sitting right there as they were like talking about it and larry talking about his collarbone he's like you know it still bothers me only when it's cold and this and that 
but it was like one of those cool stories. But like Larry said, like when, when buddy said that to him, like, I want you to train my son. He goes, Dan, he goes, I'm not a mark for anybody. He goes, I'm a mark for buddy Rogers. And he goes, (laughs) and he goes, and when he said that, he goes, I was so prideful. And he goes, it was, it would be like Babe Ruth coming up to you and be like, can you teach my son how to hit? (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. I can see that. So like, and Larry's training methods and me are very similar that like our, our nature of like, we watch what you do and then we let you do it. We let you fail. And then we tweak here and there and we figure out things. Um, I try to tell my students when I'm yelling at you, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at myself. Um, because that's also what Larry would do a lot. Like Larry would like yell, like slow down, slow down. But he was really yelling at himself because his students don't understand to not go so fast. You know what I mean? So like, that's like, whenever you hear stories about me yelling or screaming, I'll always say at the end, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at me because you should know better. And it's my job to get you to know better. Not yelling at you. The only time you'll ever hear me really yell at students if they do something unsafe. That's it. Yep. And I, you saw that on the on the on, oh, the, yeah. uh, on the show too with the suplex outside the ring. Um, yeah. Did Larry also have the amateur background? Yeah. Oh my God, yeah, dude. I, that's what I tell you that's what I remembered. <laughs> All right. So here's the story with this. His only loss, I think, was to King Kong Bundy in high school. That's crazy. Yeah, and then he later trained King right. Kong. Bundy. Exactly. Um, but here's the whole story about the Monster Factory, Larry, how he got in. This is such an interesting story. So. When Larry was like 10 years old, he is um, at a match and Red Barry's there. And his dad and him go out and they see him at a diner. Larry goes up to Red Barry at the diner and goes, I want to be a pro wrestler. Um, This is not made up. This is true. He goes, get some amateur experience, start wrestling, we'll be in touch. It's Larry's senior year in high school, into the Paulsboro High School gym box, Gorilla Monsoon and Red Berry. They say, uh, go to college, get some more experience. We'll be in touch. And they start sending letters. Him and Red Berry are sending letters back and forth about his progress and all this. So uh, Larry winds up finishing college. Uh, I think he was undefeated. Uh, I think he went to Gloucester County College. Uh, or if maybe his only loss was the Bundy. Maybe it was that. I don't know. But anyway, um, he contacts Red Berry. He says to come on out. Larry, a couple months later, goes out, <laughs> goes to his house, and they're like, he passed away. You're like that, you know what I mean? Like people don't understand that now, but like this was the 70s, you know? Yeah. But he passed away and Larry didn't know it. So they got him in touch with Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla Monsoon started breaking him in and then handed him off to Mr. Fuji. And Mr. Fuji was his first trainer. Uh, and then when Fuji finished training him he gave larry his uh robe which is like a 24 karat gold uh silk uh robe amazing japanese robe and then when larry left wrestling completely in 2014 and was done he gave me that robe and i cried like a baby and he he goes it's not a big deal it's not a big deal and then like i saw him tear up too so like yeah it was a big deal and yeah that's the story like uh yeah, Larry was a badass amateur. He yeah. he even beat the shit out of Dynamite Kid one time in Japan because um, Dynamite Kid thought Larry was coming on to him when Larry was just – like they were all bull – they were all talking in the uh, – I'm sorry for cursing. Uh, they You're were doing all talking, well. Yeah, what's that? You're doing well. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. They were uh, hanging out at a bar just in Japan, and uh, Larry was finishing up, and they were talking and bull crapping, and then Larry said to him, hey um, – 
you want to just grab a six pack and we'll go up to your room and you know finish bullcrapping and all this and dynamite's like what are you uh and larry's yeah. like what he's like no i just gonna have a beer and then like dynamite charges him and larry just throws him throws him again and then that was it like same with like Matt Bourne, Matt Bourne and Larry, <laughs> Larry Sharp's dad and Matt Bourne's dad were, uh, it's like an eighties movie. Like when you see like the dads letting the kids fight and even though the kids aren't really kids anymore, they're like in their twenties. So like Larry's dad, Augie and, and, uh, Matt Bourne's dad were on a bus traveling with Larry and Matt and they were saying whose son was better at wrestling and they got off the bus and like Larry beat him. And then, like, they go back and they're, like, I think, like, at Larry's house and all hanging out. And then they're wrestling in the kitchen again. But, like, it was all amateur wrestling all the time. Yeah, Larry, that's why me and Larry got along so great is, like, we yeah. would talk about amateur wrestling. We would talk about the tournaments I used to do and stuff like that. And, like, he brought up Dan Gable one time. And, and then he brought up, uh, I forget who else. Um <sighs> I forget who it was. Anyway, some amateur wrestler, and I was the only one who knew who it was. And I was just, and Larry was just like, what the heck is going on with wrestling that wrestlers don't know wrestlers? Uh, but yeah, Larry was a big amateur wrestler. He was from Paulsboro. You yeah. Know? And he's he's up on the wall in the in the, the building we're at. It shows him classes 69, and he's a senior there in there, Larry Weil. Yeah, I love I love learning different things about some of those wrestlers from from the past, and in this case, just knowing the whole story of your Monster Factory, and he's such a huge part of it. And I only yep. knew like two percent of anything you just well, said. Well, so dude, it's fantastic. Here's the, here's the thing: like when there's so many people, like, oh, you only got the show because of Larry. Like they didn't even know who Larry was. Like right. they they weren't even going to include him. So that's why I built a whole section. I was like. If they're not going to include him, then I'm going to build a whole wall with nothing but Larry on it. So in the background, he's always going to be in the TV show. Yeah. And you can really see it when I'm getting out of the ring and I go, oh, my back's sore. You know, you're making me angry. You're stressing yeah. me out. You can see, like, that's a whole Larry thing. Yeah. Well, one day we were just talking, and I, I'm going to get choked up talking about it, but I was just like, we weren't filming anything. And I just was, they were just like, you know, had the camera rolling, but we weren't filming a scene. And I was looking up and I was like, man, he should be here. And I just started crying uncontrollably. And that's when I think like they contact me like, hey, we're going to put some Larry stuff in it. So like we filmed it first, like the whole history of the Monster Factory at Rowan College. They did it like a college course. Like I talked about Buddy Rogers. I talked about Larry. Nice. They had like a the the the, the they bought in a, a train tracks, you know, for the camera to come in. That was the only day I wasn't on edibles because that was a day where I had to read lines. That was a day where it was going to be like me orchestrated reading lines. Right. Um, kind of like when I talk about this is a promo, this is a heel, this is a baby. That, like, yeah. that, was, that of course, is, is not yeah. real. That was me reading lines. Yeah. Right. But like everything else was legit. But like, yeah, that was that was it. And then um, they started pulling old clips of Larry. So we got that in there. But like there were so many people who hit me up like, like hating on me, like sending anonymous stuff being like, you know, this is all because of Larry, not because you, you didn't do any of this. And I'm like, okay, Time's I wasn't going to go like, I wasn't going to go out in the public and be like, no, they wanted, I'm like, okay, I let you have that. Sure. Yeah. We're going to move on to something we call the three counts. going to be three quick questions and your answers. So first one, Aside from uh, Monster Factory, was there a particularly good documentary or reality show you felt portrayed wrestling training accurately or one that you liked? 
I don't like. I did. I didn't. I. I liked. I liked the uh, Netflix one for the case of that it was wrestling on streaming. Um, I wouldn't have done things they did, but that's their product. I respect it. It's fine. I just wouldn't have done that. Um, I, 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 my favorite wrestling documentary of all time isn't a training one. I love uh, Wrestling with Shadows. I think mm -hmm. that is the most well-done uh, documentary. Um, I don't like things that exploit wrestling and the bad stuff because there's so much good, but it's just so easy to sell the bad that I don't like it. Um, I, do, I didn't like um, Beyond the Mat. I hated it. Um, I thought it was awful for wrestling. And everybody who like loves it, I don't understand. It would be like, hey, this car crash is great. It'll promote people to drive. No, it won't. It'll terrify people. Um, like I didn't like that. So I can't. I can only think of ours as like yeah. a really positive documentary about the training. And and it's also my fault too because I don't seek out stuff. Um, people always think my whole life is wrestling and stuff. I'll watch wrestling that's on TV because it's a product, the current stuff. But like I study more film, uh, I read a lot. I read too much, um, and then I do a lot on my phone with reading, uh, to the point like where I, I should just get the app to read on my phone, so I don't have to have the actual books. But I just like books, um, and I'll I'll just create stuff. Like I'll literally screenwrite. I'll write a script, nice. never and never do anything with it, and just throw it out. Just I'll just write it, read it reamp it and then like i gotta hate it and delete it or i'll throw it out like that's what i just i just create stuff to create stuff um i love it i don't think you need an audience for everything sometimes it's just like a creative outlet yep. and then sometimes you do something you're like oh i want to share that and that's kind of like how you you find your art and that's what i kind of do with our students the way i do things is just get in and get around you don't always have to talk wrestling but be creative do something in this genre get get out there, be around the arts. Like I tell everybody who's wanting to be a wrestler, go do theater, go get famous somewhere else before you wrestle. Yeah. Like, honestly, if I, if I was a TV star and this successful in wrestling, they'd hire me as a coach, but because I'm just a really good coach, they won't hire me. Um, like our wrestlers are just as good as Logan Paul and all that stuff, but he has the clout. He has this, he has that. So it's almost like, making my job a little harder but at the same time you know it's now the game has changed now you got to step up now you have to be you know have all these different tools in your pocket to to make it so like there's a reason they go to colleges and go to other places to to recruit students is because they see how passionate they are for one thing and all they do is tilt it towards yep. pro wrestling um you know because like I, when i get athletes it's much easier to train them but at the same time when they're bullheaded, they're bullheaded. They're stuck in their ways. They don't understand. Cause like wrestling's wrestling, it's athletic, but it's also theater. And if these athletes never did theater, they're not going to understand that direction. They're not going to understand that. And as I'm thinking of that, like, I think one of the, the, the best guys I've seen right now. And I, and I would, I would honestly uh, love to see this guy win the Royal rumble is Braun breaker. I think he is, he, his acting is amazing his character portrayal, he can go from the angry guy to the goofy guy. He's showing that range right now. Like, I wouldn't even wait. I would strap him up. He's He's been thrown in the deep end. Yeah. Like, and I know, like, they talk about where he's trained and all, but, like, QT and them trained him first. 
You know, a lot of people, you know, QT, the nightmare factor was training him first. Like the dude knows his stuff. Yeah. Like it's impressive, man. It's, it's really impressive. Like I was, I was watching him and like his wrestling is impressive, but like, like in my mind, I go, anybody can do that stuff. You're watching him for the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. I need to see the character stuff. I need to see the timing stuff. I need to see him not panic over stuff. Like just little things, man. Like I saw him just change his movement when someone was about to do something over the top rope. He took the one hand to 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 make sure his opponent was safe. Took the other hand to go ahead and hold onto the turnbuckle uh, underneath until they were both set, and then put both hands up. When most people put both hands up, and like that's the stuff I noticed that sticks yeah. out to me. Uh, I can spot so many things just by watching. That's why, like, whenever I coach or do seminars, I just tell everybody to get in the ring and we start doing stuff because I could have a. a a curriculum laid out, but if they ain't ready to eat off that plate, it, they're, they're getting right. nothing out of it. Yeah. So I like to go and just observe and see what I have to fix. That's, you know, kind of like when I did the future of honor thing, the ring of honor dojo stuff, I went there and observed for a couple of weeks before I did anything, you know, because how can I come in here and say, I'm going to fix this place. If I don't know what's wrong. You don't know exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like uh, they didn't, they didn't understand any of that because you know, they're children. Right. Second, Second question, we've had him on the show before, and this is one of the times Monster Factory came up on this show, but uh, the man known as Damian Priest walks in. What did you think the first time you saw him, and what are your feelings on how he has grown as a performer and as a person? Well, here's the thing. I was a wrestler when he first walked in. Um, wow. We were wrestling together. We were training together back in, you know, 2002, three, four, whatever. Um, and it was, you know, he was – you can find a match. It's me and uh, – QT Marshall versus Nasty Nick uh, and Damian Priest. I did uh, find that match when I was researching for this, actually. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that was when we were training together. Um, I had years over those guys. You know, that was uh, – I think that was QT's, like, maybe third or fourth match ever, maybe, wow. and his first tag team match ever. Um, and I just went out there and had fun. That's all I did because I was working for the phone company then. Uh, my wife is in the crowd. She's the one screaming as loud as everybody else. Uh, at the time, she was just my girlfriend. But, um, yeah, uh, and then I, you know, left wrestling in 2004 or five, and I didn't see him again until 2010. You know, me, QT, and Luis just picked up like, you know, it was nothing. And, uh, you know, uh, I told QT and Luis, you know, I wanted them to be coaches. And, you know, it was, it was one of those things where – Damian Priest was – I saw so much potential in him, but, like, he couldn't get out of his own way, meaning, like, people in his head – like, he'll tell you. Everybody in his head was like, oh, you're a star. You do this, you do that. And I'm like, no, you're not. I was like, no, you don't look like a star, dude. You're a big dude, but you just – no. And then, like, I kind of, like, called him out during, like, a Gerald Briscoe seminar, and then Gerald Briscoe and me got in his head, and then, like, it was just, like – that switch was like, I'm never going to be embarrassed again. I'm never going to feel bad about myself again. And that dude, like we would have warmups at seven. He would go and do warmups at seven. And we'd tell other people like, Hey, if you want to join him, go. So you'd see a couple people join him. And then he'd started doing warmups at six. So he was going to outwork everybody. And the weight just started coming off him and he just started killing it. Then he got in with ring of honor and he kept doing their camps over and over again. He probably did like six or seven camps before they signed him. 
Wow. Now, in the meantime, you know, everybody else, you know, a couple of people had done one camp and they were signed, you know, yeah. there's people that like aren't in wrestling right now that were signed with one camp. And then here's Damian Priest having to do seven camps to get signed to Ring of Honor. Um, and then he got his tryout. They turned him down. Uh, you know, I, I remember I got invited to the PC in 2014, not to coach. They were just going to give me a tour because they said they don't take coaches in, even though they take coaches in, but they didn't want me in. So anyway, I get the, I get the tour in Canyon. goes, what do you want to talk about? I don't want to talk about anything. I don't want to see anything. Or he goes, what do you want to see? I go, I don't want to see anything. I want to talk business. I want to talk like my students and why, you know, I want to get communication because like you tell them what to work on, but I'm their coach. Why not tell me and I can help them. Um, and then I was talking about Macklin and he goes, well, I, he's great, but I just need someone six, five and Latino. And I said, I gave you that and you screwed it up. And he goes, what are you talking about? I was like, punishment Martinez. And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, oh, I, he must be unimpressive. So I like show him a picture of him at ring of honor, like flexing. He just goes, send me his stuff. And I just remember leaving. He's like, he texts me. He's like, no, I mean, like right now, send me it. So I sent his stuff and they're just like, oh, I remember uh, we were looking for somebody Mexican and not so old. Okay, well, four uh. years later, four years later, he's not Mexican. <laughs> he's four years older and they paid him more money. Yeah. And now but he's one I of the top this. stars of their company. <laughs> but, but, but I say this, I say this, and I can say this because I think it's true. If he was picked up in 2014, I don't think he's with the company right now. I think that's why I always say where we're at is where we're supposed to be. Timing, yeah. Did 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 they miss the boat? You know, did they not see what I saw? Of course they didn't see what I saw because I'm closer to it than them. They just saw it as like an outsider. Um, but once he got there, they're like, yeah, he is really good. You know, they saw what I saw. They saw like he's a good coach. He's a good leader. He's a good person. Um, and he's got the right mentality. Same with QT. Like we, we, we don't bull crap me, me, QT and Luis, like we feed off of each other and like they do their thing. I do my thing. Like we barely talk now. I, I'll maybe text them here and there, but like when we were together, like we would be at coaching and training and we'd feed off of each other and we'd be there till two, three in the morning talking wrestling. Wow. And that's all it was. But then again, like I said, they went there, they went there. I'm like, cool. I'm here. Like we're good. Like, this is the way it's supposed to be. You did your thing. I wanted you out of here to go, to go live your dreams. Like I didn't want to be a wrestler. I want to always be a coach. Like as soon as I got injured, I was like, I'm 50 now. I can't wrestle. Like, this is it. Like, but they're where they're supposed to be, man. And I'm just so, so happy for QT. Like number one, he's, he's doing what we always said for him to do, which was apply himself and, and he's killing it, man. But like, yeah. it's, I say this coaches can, coach you you know the whole lead of water or a horse to water and all i i equate it to like swimming pools how often do you go to a swimming pool you see everyone having a good time and there's just someone that just won't get in and you try to sell them on it no come on you just got to get used to it no you just got to get used to it no go go get hot and get sweaty come on and get in get in it's awesome they're no matter what you do you're not going to get them in until they're ready to get in and it took them finding themselves like i found myself once our show wasn't picked up for season two that's when i reevaluated everything and i was like all right i'm just gonna do this i'm not worried about what happens next i'm just doing this because from 2018 to 2023 i was in a holding pattern with this tv show right there's so many different projects and stuff i didn't do because i was afraid it was going to screw up this project 
And this project wasn't just my project. It was going to feature the students. So it was like, I got to be extra careful for these kids. Um, to the point, like I was like, even asking Apple, I was like, do you want me not to do my social media the way I do it and say these things? <laughs> and they're just like, no, we don't care about that. You're fine. Like we're, we're on board with probably 99.9% .9 of the things you say. I was like, all right, cool. Uh, but they, it was great. It was great. So last uh, three count question, uh, kind of lighter aside from uh, Danny cage, who was your favorite wrestling cage? Christian. Yeah. I love Christian, man. Who had the name him. first, you or him? Me. I was, uh, well, I don't know. I was, I was, I, I was, uh, it, whenever cage snake eyes came out, that's when I became Danny cage because I was, I wanted to be Danny Mac. That's what my bookie called me. I was Danny Mac. Cause my last name is McDonald. Right. And they're like, no, no, you can't be that. And I was like, whatever. So I'm driving to the show and I look up and I see in neon green cage, and then underneath snake eyes. And I was like, Danny snake eyes. No, Danny cage. <laughs> uh, and I just thought it was cool. Cause like my favorite color is green. Um, like it reminded me like of the, you know, the neon green from like poison, which was one of my favorite bands. And I just was like, that's badass. I was like, yeah, Danny cage. And that's, that's it. You know, that's and everybody would say like Johnny cage. I was like, no, that wasn't the inspiration. I was like, no, it was just, I just thought a last name cage would be cool. Man, that's my great. big dream, my big, my dream, like name when I was growing up, I loved Sting, so I wanted to be. I loved Lightning Bolts, so I wanted to be Bolt, you know, Sting, and then Bolt, and then I was going to have a, a a tag team partner, Thunder, and we were going to be Thunder Bolt, and I'm still friends with this guy. Uh, he still he still comes to my shows every once in a while. Uh, James, what's up, brother? If you're there. Uh, but yeah, this was like in sixth and seventh grade. Uh, that was our that was our tag team. We were Thunder and Bolt. And then like I remember when Thunder and Lightning came out of WCW. I'm like, oh my god, we can't now. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. That's awesome. Well, uh, Danny Cage, I'm so glad we were able to do this today. Congratulations on all that you have accomplished with the Monster Factory and the show, and just the talent that you're putting out there, both on your own shows and all into the major companies. It is seen, and, uh, you know, I know you got a bunch of stuff at the Monster Factory WrestleMania weekend, too, that people can check out yep. uh, that we can link to also. But uh, I'm so happy that it was, we were able to connect and, and do this today, and I wish you all the best with everything you're doing. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much, man. And, and uh, yeah, like, uh, hit up the website. You can find out information on uh, WrestleMania week because it's for the fans and the boys and the promoters. Let's go. All right. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Danny Cage and the Monster Factory for being our guests this week. You can follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring for all the latest guest announcements. And have a great week, everyone. Hey.